Take your copy of God's Word this morning and turn to Psalm 22, that 22nd Psalm, as we look at it together. In the 16th century or so, St. John the Cross offered to us some new terminology. He offered to us this phrase called the dark night of the soul. And what he meant by that was that there are moments in the life of the believer. Now listen to me. In the life of the believer, where it seems that we're in barren and arid areas of our life. There are moments where we, it seems that God can be far away. It seems that even when we ask a question, we do not hear the answers from God. For the believer, that is. There are moments of where you are wondering, where you are questioning, where you are trying to find exactly what God would have you to do. And it seems as though God is silent. And it seems, maybe even, that you are isolated. Now, I don't know if you've ever been through those moments, but I can tell you many of us believers have been. And this is not something that is necessarily unique to one individual. As a matter of fact, there are many of us who are believers that go through some difficult days of our lives. Ask King David. David, a man after God's own heart. David, who writes so many of the Psalms that speak about joy, speak about uh, gladness, speak about worship. Even that David who had a heart of worship, a David who had a spirit of joy, even David knew that there were moments in his life, even through his obedience, where it seemed to be dark and barren. I want to talk to you this morning about the dark night of the soul. And perhaps as you go through that moment now, or as you go through it in the future, or as you have been through it already, I pray that God would take this message and that he would minister to you as you work through those moments, listen to David as he gives testimony of this season of life. Beginning in verse 1 of that 22nd Psalm, he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? And from the words of my groaning, Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season, and am not silent, but you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried out to you and you were, de and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. But I am a worm, no man. A reproach of men and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, He trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since his delight is in him. But you... Are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breast. I was cast upon you from birth. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death, for dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. 
I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Can you hear the raw emotion of David's heart here? Again, David, a man after God's own heart. David, guy who is so filled with optimism and worship and joy and gladness. He comes to us in this, in this testimony and he says, It seems like God has forsaken me. Seems like God is far away from me. It seems as though my enemies, they have encircled me. They have come and they have tried to destroy me. They looked at me, look at me with contempt. And it doesn't seem that God hears. I want you to hear within this passage the very real feeling, the very real feeling of despondency, the very real feeling of disappointment that David had. I mean, he was literally going through the dark night of the soul. He comes to this point of his life where he is just simply broken, and he knows who he is. He knows what he's done, and he's crying out to God that God would speak to him in some powerful and magnificent way, just as God had done before. Now listen, when I come and look at this passage, and of course we'll look at it in its context of the New Testament as well, David... From my understanding, David is not where he is because of sin. David's not where he is. In other words, he's not, he's not felt the isolation of God because of his sin. Now, there are many times in our lives where we sin and that fellowship with God seems to be removed, right? We would agree with that. There are moments where we fall short of God, the glory of God and it appears at least that God's manifest his presence in our life has been removed at least the fellowship that we've had with him this is not because of sin all of us can do things that can cause us to break that fellowship with God we come though just as we talked about last week and we confess that sin and that fellowship is restored but what happens in our lives what happens in our lives when we know that we've been obedient, we've done what God wants us to do, and it just seems like God's just far away from us? What do we do then? And is that a real feeling that we can have? Yes, David had it. And that's what David is expressing is that, God, I believe in you. I trust in you. Notice this is not an issue of faith. I've heard some people say, oh, if you just have enough faith, you're happy all the time. You just have enough joy. You know, if you have enough faith, everything's going to go your way, right? I mean, you've been involved in this experiment. That is right, right? As long as you do everything right and everything, everything's, you're always going to have happiness and joy in your life. No, no issue at all. We know that living in this world, even as we are obedient, we will face difficult moments. We know that we'll go through those times, those seasons. And here's David. This is not an issue of faith for David. As a matter of fact, you'll see his trust and his faith. In verse 3, after saying, God, I, I'm not hearing from you. God, I don't, I don't hear the clear answer in my life. I cry out to you day and I cry out to you at night. In verse 3, notice what he says. But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of God, in the praises of Israel. In other words, what he says is, even when I don't hear your, your voice, even when I don't seem to sense your presence, God, I still believe in you. 
I know who you are. And notice what he says in verse 4. He says, our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried out to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. In other words, David says, God, I not only trust you, but I have seen what you could do. You have worked before and you have spoken to people in powerful ways before. So I know you can do this. I know you can speak to me. I know you can rescue me. I know you can deliver me. I trust in you. So listen to this. It's not a matter of faith or trust that David is approaching in his life. He, he has all those things figured out. He just doesn't understand why God would not answer him clearly in such a powerful and magnificent way as he has done before. Have you ever been there in your life? I mean, where you were waiting on an answer from God. I mean... You had prayed, you'd, you'd just put your heart out there before him and said, God, I need you to talk to me. God, I need you to provide the answer to me. God, I need you to work in such a way. Have you ever done that? And then felt like maybe God just, just was distant? Now, I want you to hear me this morning clearly. I believe God is always with us. I believe he will never leave nor forsake his people. Can somebody say amen on that one? I didn't hear you up in the gathering. <laughs> in the gathering. There you are up there. He will never leave or forsake his people. He'll never do that. But I do believe that he will purposely step back just a little. He will purposely remove that, that presence that you have felt so that he can give you and he can give me an opportunity to express our faith and trust and grow. I believe it's a real feeling we can have. Those of us who are the strongest believers, I think we can have that moment where it feels like we've been isolated, where it feels like God is not listening, where it feels like God is just so removed. Maybe he's so busy with other things in the world that he's just not concerned about yours and mine at that moment. Again, God's always there with us. Know that. But God steps back. And even in moments of obedience, he will step back. And here in this moment, that's what I think you hear David saying. David says, God, I'm crying out to you, but God, you are distant. I know that. God, I trust you. I believe that you can work, but this is a real feeling in my heart and life. Because they're real foes, real difficulties, real obstacles. Now, listen, David wasn't trying to make up obstacles. He wasn't trying to make up difficulties in his, lives, uh, in his life. Sometimes we, we try to make up things. I mean, we, we look around, we, we see an issue behind every bush when it's really not there, you know? We're good at finding trouble. But there are moments where we face real foes, real enemies. Real difficulties. And that's what he says in verses 7 all the way down, I think, to verse 18. He talks about those who would surround him, those who would come against him. Notice all the terminology that he uses as it relates to animals, bulls and lions and dogs, and how it seems that all of creation, all of these people are coming against him. What I want to say to you first is that 
the dark night of the soul is real. We face it. Many of us who are believers, all of us probably at some point in our lives will face the dark night of the soul. The time when our spiritual life may seem barren. A time when it seems that God has withdrawn in some way. It is real. But may I say this to you. The dark night of the soul which is real is also redemptive. The dark night of the soul which is real is always redeeming to our lives. What do I mean by that? Well, as you read through this again, as you hear David's heart and his life, you understand that this is a redeeming moment for him. He will mention this later in verse 19 and following. He'll talk about the redeeming aspect of God stepping back in a way. Because get this. You may have faith and trust. But when God steps back, when God purposely withdraws himself in some manner... Will you continue to have faith and trust? Will you continue to obey even though it seems like God is distant? You know, it's so easy. It is so easy to follow him when you're on the mountaintop, isn't it? I mean, to have those mountaintop experiences, they're awesome. Where God just captures for a moment this great worship event perhaps or this, this great vital moment in your life where you seem like you're as close to God as you've ever been. Thank God for those mountain experiences. But what happens when you walk down into the valley and you face the difficulties that everyday life brings you? What happens when it seems like you're not quite as close as you were on that mountain? What happens in your walk then? Will you embrace faith and trust? Or... Will you just go away in your own manner, walking in your own strength and power? You see, I think when God brings the dark night of the soul into our lives, when he brings it there, he gives us an opportunity to redeem us further, to grow us, if you will, in our faith and trust. You know, you can ask David... But you can certainly ask Christ about the redemptive work, about the dark night of the soul, about those moments where it seems that the Father has removed himself. Well, any of you that have studied the Bible, you recognize that Jesus quotes this psalm while he's there on the cross. Classically understood, there are seven statements that Jesus issues from the cross on that Friday when he was put to death. And one of those statements was chapter 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Think about this for a moment. Jesus, the Son of God, there upon the cross, he calls out to the Father and he says, Father... Why have you forsaken me? You hear the anguish. You hear his heart expressed. This, of that sense of separation and fellowship that he experienced with the Father. It was like the Father had removed that fellowship 
from him in that moment. Now let's dig into that just a moment more, if you would. Here's Jesus. Here's the Son of God upon the cross. And he recognizes that the Father has turned in some way from him. He says, why have you forsaken me? Now, properly understood this morning, know this. Jesus was still the Son of God. Do you hear me this morning? There was no break in his essence. There was no break in who he was before God. He was still the Son of God. God. So what does this refer to when, when Jesus cries out and says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is talking about a break in the fellowship. Why? Because upon the cross, Jesus becomes sin itself. All of the sin of the world was laid upon him, upon the cross. And when the sin was laid upon him upon the cross, the Father turned himself from Jesus. And the wrath of God was poured out upon Jesus at the cross. I can't even begin to imagine. Get this, folks. For all of eternity, get this, for all of eternity, the Father and the Son had, had perfect communion. Could you imagine that? For all of eternity, the Father and the Son, they'd had perfect communion and fellowship. And now at the cross, now at the cross where Jesus takes upon sin, at the cross that fellowship is broken. Through the years I've seen all kinds of movies and other kinds of depictions of the cross and almost always our hearts are gripped by the physical horror that we see and it should have been I mean I, I remember watching um, the passion that movie one time and afterwards I said can't watch it anymore I, I, I remember saying that I just I don't think I could ever watch it again because of the intensity of the physical abuse that was seen. Now, I'm not saying they didn't render it right. Because look, the cross was horrific. Physically, it was, it was, it, it would evoke terror in people's hearts and lives to even think about the cross. But when I come to passages like this and think of it in its New Testament context, when I think of Jesus and his suffering, I recognize that the physical, the physical part of the cross didn't even begin to come close to the emotional and spiritual punishment and horror that Jesus experienced there on the cross. I mean, is that not a dramatic statement? That the spiritual and emotional consequences, punishment, horror, doesn't even begin, that it, it can't even begin to be ex explained in the physical terms. The Father, Jesus, fellowship for all of life, for all of eternity, 
And all of a sudden, that fellowship is broken. God the Father removes himself, at least that fellowship aspect, from Jesus. But what did Jesus do? Jesus remained committed to the plan. Faith and trust. Knowing the redemption that was going to come. Hear what David says later on in verse 25. In verse 25, he had said, Through all this time, the dark night of the soul, even when it seems that God is removed from my life, this is what he said. He said, I will pay my vows before those who fear him. In other words, God, even when you're removed, I'm going to trust you and believe you. And guess what Jesus Christ said? Jesus Christ said, God, Father, even when you have to turn from me, even when the fellowship itself is broken, I will remain committed to the task and the purpose. Because I believe that this dark night of the soul has a redemptive purpose about it. Jesus remained upon the cross. I mean, even when darkness filled the land, even as he was there under judgment itself, taking upon the judgment of the whole world, Jesus remained upon the cross. Because we need to remember this. Listen, this was his choice, and this was the Father's choice as well. This was not forced upon either into Both the Father and the Son voluntarily entered into this plan. And for the Father who is touched by all kinds of emotion, the Father who is touched by compassion itself, the Father suffering as he watched his son die upon the cross. Jesus suffering as his Father had turned and as his Father had poured out wrath They chose this plan because of redemption. Because of you, because of me. Jesus could have stopped at any time, couldn't he? At any moment. Don't forget this. Jesus is always in control. Jesus, Jesus could have looked down from that cross and said, I've had it. This is enough. It's not going to, no, we're not doing this anymore. Jesus could have, he, he could have done that, but he chose because of Redemption. The cross brings to us redemption. And our God, who is above, is a God who can work redemptively through all things. Now, I know some of you have heard me preach now a couple of three sermons, uh, probably. Uh, some of you even have heard me preach on Sunday night. That's awesome. Few of you. And you hear me from time to time talk about my hobby horses. I've got one or two myself. Many of us preachers, we have certain little areas we like to emphasize. But this one's mine. This is one of mine at least. That God can take the most difficult moment of life. That God can take the darkest night that you have ever experienced. And he can redeem it for something good 
and glorifying to himself. I believe that. I trust that every day. That even though there are those who mean things for evil, God is in the redeeming business. And there are things that God can take that was meant for evil and he can make it good. And if you don't believe me, you, you look at the cross itself. The ultimate example is the cross itself. The cross which was meant to be evil. But was, which was redemptive. And look at the accuracy. May I just point this out? Look at the accuracy by which it is described by the psalmist, by David, hundreds of years before. Look at the accuracy of the description of the cross. He said... In verse 7, all those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They sneer, that is. They shake the head. Lee trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Can you hear the, those jeers and those sneers from the crowd there around the cross? He saved others. Let him save himself. In verse 12, it says, many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths. Verse 14, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. Listen to that description and let it remind you again of the experience of the cross and how David, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes with such accuracy about what will occur in Jesus' life. As Jesus fulfills this redeeming moment, the cross. When I read through this and think about how God had a plan for all those years, before, before the foundations of this earth was laid, God knew what he was going to do, right? Through the cross. And how he communicated that even through the scripture. And how the scripture authenticates God's word, God's message, and God's plan. I read through that and note how it describes the crucifixion. David, who was not even familiar with the punishment of crucifixion. David. I mean, think about it this way. Think about how... God worked all in that time and all in his own way to fulfill every prophecy, even the prophecy of Psalm 22. How he had worked. Because get this, if this had been just a Jewish world that Jesus was living in, Jesus would have been stoned. Because that was the way Jews punished such people. But God... Even back in David's time, God knew what the world was going to look like. God knew it wouldn't be by stoning. God knew that even at that moment, the Romans would be utilized and the cross would be the method of sacrifice. I think that's just, I think that's just awesome. The way God confirms his redemptive plan over and over through scripture the cross had a redeeming aspect of it even though it was so dark today we recognize that we have forgiveness because of the cross because of what Jesus did for us so get this I think there should be a redemptive cry in our hearts and lives a redemptive sense of praise 
David said, verse 19, But you, O Lord, do not be far from me. O my strength, hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. You have answered me. I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. You, will, you who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him and fear him. All you offspring of Israel, for he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him, he heard, My praise shall be of you in the great assembly. I will pay my vows before those who fear him. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. And all the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For the kingdom is the Lord's and he ru rules over the nations. And the prosperous of the earth shall eat and worship. All those who go down to the dust shall bow before him. Even he who cannot keep himself alive. It will be recounted of the Lord to the next generation. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people who will be born. That he has done this. Listen to what David says. David says, I was in the dark night of the soul. I cried out, God, God, why have you forsaken me? What have you done? God, where are you? But before it was over with, when he recognized the redemption of God in his life, he was able to say, God, May you be praised and may you be worshipped. May you be recounted in the congregation. I will stand. I will stand in the assembly of Israel and I will declare to people that I have come. I have come from the dark night of the soul and now I have seen your redeeming power and what you could do. I want the nations to hear it. I want the nations to praise you. I want to invite them to come and listen to me, my friends. Today on this side of the cross... And on this side of the resurrection, how we should stand and praise and give glory to God that even when the dark night of the soul comes upon our lives, we have strength, we have power through Him, and ultimately, we celebrate Him, the resurrected King. Something should happen as we praise Him and worship Him because get this, Jesus Christ, as He went through the dark night of the soul, He demonstrated His faith and His trust in the Father. He placed Himself in the hands, literally, of the Father and said, Father, whatever Your will is for me, that is what I want to do. And as He committed Himself, as He died, that redemptive, sacrificial death for us, He experienced the power of the resurrection. So we'll talk about more next week. But he experienced the power of the resurrection. And for us, as we leave this place, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we ought to be able to say to others, look at our Lord. Look at his life. Look at his death. Look at his resurrection. May all nations praise Him. May the congregation stand and speak of the forgiveness that only He can provide. Because from the dark night of the soul can come joy and gladness. From the most difficult moments in our lives, God can bring redemption and God can demonstrate to us His glory and His greatness. Today I pray that we would experience that wherever we are.
if we're in one of those seasons, that he would work in his own way to show us how redemptive it can be. And today as we celebrate the cross, as we celebrate the resurrection, I pray that we would sense his presence and his power in our lives. Let's pray together. Father, we praise you today. We thank you today. And God, even when we seem to be far away from you, I pray that we would still trust you and be obedient to you. Father, I pray that you would turn our dark nights, Lord, into great days, that you would redeem the difficulty and demonstrate power. God, today we praise you because we know that your son, the Lord Jesus, was obedient through the darkest moments of his life. And because of that today, Lord, he has paid that unique sacrificial death for us. And God, as we get ready, Lord, to um, continue in this service, Lord, I pray that you would give us a heart where we will examine and we will search what you would have us to do and who we are before you. Be with us during this moment of reflection and invitation. In Jesus' name, amen.